Have you ever been to Urinetown? Yeah, Urinetown, as in U-R-I-N-E, town. I'd never even heard of Urinetown before, but I couldn't wait to see Urinetown for myself because my daughter was in it. Urinetown, the musical, is a play that was put on by the Concordia Academy Theater Department last fall. And with songs like Privilege to Pee on the Soundtrack, I was highly skeptical coming in. I was wondering, why, why is a Christian high school even doing this play? But let me tell you, it was so good. The play is satire, and it has a storyline that is as important as it was timely. The setting for this play is a dystopian future where there's this 20-year drought that has caused a terrible water shortage. Things are so bad that the only place that people could go to relieve themselves were public toilets that were controlled by a mega corporation. And you had to pay to go. When the oppressed masses were told there was gonna be another pay hike for the only toilets in town, they demanded justice and they took to the streets. They united under a banner that said people should be able to go whenever they want, as much as they want, for as long as they want, with whomever they want. And they took to the streets with signs like this. I saw this sign up on stage and it made me laugh out loud. I'm so mad, I made this sign. It caused me to laugh out loud because I see this all the time. Urinetown's rebellion didn't end well for anyone. And I'll have more to say about that at the end, but let's work our way there. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. When it comes to justice, there is a lot of bandwagoning. Can I get an amen to that? For the record, now for the record, don't hear me wrong on this. For the record, there are thousands and thousands of people who are engaging in those heart-wrenching acts of injustice, of trying to help in those situations where there are heart-wrenching acts of injustice that are happening all around us. These thousands, thousands of people, they are sincerely committed to doing the hard, complicated work of trying to help without hurting. But for every person actually doing the hard and complicated work, there are more people doing this, walking around with these signs or posting things online. Here's what the bandwagon approach to justice looks like. Whatever sounds good, whatever costs me little, whatever will make me feel like a good person, whatever is trending, whatever will keep me from getting canceled, whatever will help this quarter's earnings, I will stand for these things. The whole idea of jumping on a bandwagon, it is nothing new. Two weeks ago, we began exploring a first century letter that was written by a man named Paul. Paul had all kinds of first-hand experience with mobs. Mobs attacked him and his friends just about everywhere he went. In week one, we looked at what happened when a mob attacked Paul on, in Philippi. This week, let's take a quick look at what happened in a city called Ephesus. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Acts 19, verse 32. When Paul was in this city, Ephesus, an influential man, a businessman named Demetrius, who was in the idol business. 
he called the community together for emergency meeting. He said, this Paul guy, he is a problem. Wherever Paul goes, idle sales go down. Christianity is bad for our business. When people convert to the way of Jesus, they put their old idols, they leave their old idols behind. And we can't let that happen here. So Demetrius and the, these business people, they got the whole city riled up and the emotion was contagious. It wasn't long before the whole city was, quote, quote filled with confusion and thousands of people rushed to the city theater. And what happened there mirrored what happened in Urinetown. One of my go-to commentators that I was looking at this week, he's actually been to that actual theater in Ephesus and he says it held about 25,000 people back in the day. And he, and he goes, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a follower of Jesus there in the center of that theater as all of these angry people were surrounding and, and chanting and all those types of things. So here's, here's one of the things that I want to point out from, from this incident. This is verse 32. Now, some cried out one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion and most of them didn't even know why they had come together. Does that look familiar at all? Doesn't that sound a little like this? People are getting all riled up. They think they know what's going on, but, but they don't. All right, here's something else I want you to see. A, a city official, when all this chaos is going on for hours, he, he comes, he quiets the crowd, and then he says this. Let's jump to verses 38 through 41. If... Therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone. The courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we, are really, we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that, can give, that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The town clerk said, if this is really about justice, then let's hear your case. But if this isn't that, then go home. Does anyone else wish that we had more elected officials who acted like that? Who acted like grown-ups? There are real issues of justice that need to be addressed. Don't you long for leaders who can help people separate the real from the rhetoric? If anyone on the planet right now understands justice, it's a guy named John Perkins. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Look at what John Perkins says. He says, without truth, there can be no justice. Okay, so... Just as you're going to find millions of bandwagoners when it comes to justice, you're also going to find millions of these people. So when it comes to justice, there's a lot of bandwagoning. Bandwagoning is also this. There's a lot of tribalism. A lot of tribalism. Last summer, when just about everyone everywhere was using the word justice, we sent out a link to a great article by a guy named Tim Keller. I'll send out that link again in this week's ECC mail. If you didn't read it the first time, I highly recommend that you read this article. It's one of the best concise treatments that I've seen when it comes to wrestling with that real hard question of what definition of justice are you using? Keller listed four different 
definitions that people are working from. For the sake of time, I've just listed three on this chart. On this chart that, that he gave, there's a continuum. And on that continuum, on one side, you've got people really emphasizing social systems. And on the other side, emphasizing almost exclusively personal choice. And then in between, you have these different positions. The postmodern position that, that emphasizes power systems and systems pretty much. There's the liberal one in, that they've got that really emphasizes fairness. And then you have the libertarian that really emphasize freedom. And maybe as you look at this continuum, you'll notice something that I've noticed. Most people, what they do is they pick a camp somewhere along that continuum. And then what do they do? They go to war with the other camps. Even though, even though none of these particular camps have all the answers. And even though every one of these camps, eventually that philosophy breaks down. Do social systems matter? Yes, they matter a lot. But every system breaks down if people don't take personal responsibility. So it's got to be more nuanced than that position. Fairness matters. Fairness matters a lot. But how far is too far when it comes to fairness? Last week's Vikings game was not fair. The Cardinals had this kicker that could kick a field goal from the next state. You know, to be fair, I think Matt Prater should have suited up for both teams, right? Freedom matters. Freedom matters a lot. But should anyone be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whoever they want? I came across this great verse as I was reading through Micah. Listen to this, Micah 2.1. When the morning dawns, they do wrong because they can. Isn't that where almost all injustice starts, right there. When people do whatever they want just because they can. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many people go tribal. They have an idea of what needs to happen and they figure the only way we can go about making it happen is, is, is to have enough power to, 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 to do it. They wanna be able to impose their perspectives on everyone else instead of doing the harder work of listening and learning and discerning together. So here's how I'd summarize the tribal approach to justice. Whatever we can, whatever seems fair to us, whatever burns the opposing system down, whatever my tribe believes, the opposite of whatever the other tribe believes, I will stand for these things. All right, well, two weeks ago, we launched a new teaching series called Whatever. Throughout this series, what we're going to do is we're going to contrast different sets of whatevers. The whatevers that most people use and the whatevers that we find in a first century letter that Paul wrote. Let's go back to that section of scripture that we've been looking at. This is Philippians, Philippians 4, verse 8. All right, here we go. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, sisters. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna zero in on the word just with the time we have left. We're gonna zero in on that word just. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. When it comes to justice, 
Paul said, think on these things. When it comes to justice, have you noticed a lack of thinking? In this series, we've linked this verse that I just read there, Philippians 4.8, to media consumption. Here's a thread that I saw online. What are you up to? I'm watching Parks and Rec. No, I mean with your life. I'm watching Parks and Rec. We were meant for more than this, weren't we? I have never heard for stronger calls for justice in my lifetime. But the loudest voices I hear coming right out of most people's devices are either coming from the whatever bandwagon position or the whatever um, people who are trapped in those tribal echo chambers. So with the time we have left, I'd like to focus our attention here. What do you know about biblical justice? If you go to a search engine like BibleGateway.com and type in the words just and justice, you will find that the Bible offers a rich, strong, and much more comprehensive understanding of justice, of what it is and what it looks like when we live it out than, than anything else I've ever seen. Here's a sampling of what you're going to find. Biblical justice is reality-based. Biblical justice is anchored to the righteous and unchanging character of God. Biblical justice protects individuals and groups. Biblical justice holds everyone accountable. Biblical justice is framed within the guardrails of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Again, I don't know of a framework that does a better job of framing out justice than this one right here. Biblical justice is reality-based. It wasn't created in a college classroom or by a think tank. It represents profound truth, a profound understanding of human nature that has been tested over thousands of years on every continent. Biblical justice is anchored to the righteous and unchanging character of God. Biblical justice anchors us to a God who is compassionate, faithful, and forgiving, honest and generous, abounding in steadfast and sacrificial love. Even if you can't embrace the supernatural, how can you not embrace these character traits? Imagine a world where more people were more like that. Biblical justice doesn't just do all those things. It also protects both individuals and groups. In the Bible, we are all created in the image of God. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to be represented in heaven. Scriptures call for even scales for all. They forbid false witness and exploitation for all. Limits are given on what we should do, even if we can. Biblical justice it holds that everyone are accountable for their actions, rich and poor, the powerful and the marginalized. Take a look at this passage. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you should judge your neighbor. And then all of this, all of these things we've spoken of, are framed within the guardrails of loving our neighbors as ourselves. What if more people did more than just put out a sign 
or issue a statement or like a post that is already trending? What if instead of hyper-focusing on just one of the competing tribal narratives, what if we took a more comprehensive approach? What if we put Paul's words into practice? Philippians 4.9, he says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We've got good news to bring. We've got a God-breathed vision for a more just world. So let's fix our eyes on that target and get to work. Have you ever seen those signs that say, no justice, no peace? Let me humbly add this to the conversation. I invite you to write this down. As more of us know justice, the world will know more peace. In week one, let's make this practical here. In week one of the series, we introduced four practices that can help us shift our focus from the normal whatevers that most people are operating under that fill our minds most of the times to the whatevers that Paul invites us to focus on. That was week one. And then in week two, you know, since we had already introduced these practices, we began then to explain more about what each of these practices are. So if you missed part one and part two, I want to invite you to go back, review those. Because what I want to do today, rather than just review what they are, is to give you four challenges that are linked to justice and that are linked to these practices. So here they are. Number one, if you want to know more, more about justice, if you want to, so that the world will know more peace, I invite you to click the link. In this week's ECC mail, I'm going to send a link to that article by Tim Keller. And I invite you to read and reflect on that. That's one way you can practice the Philippians filters. I also want to invite you to search the words just and justice on BibleGateway.com and consider the emphasis oh, and the scope of what the Bible says about justice. That's one way you can apply the first 15 and final few. I also want to challenge you to reflect to reflect on when do you draw the line when it comes to supporting media and advertisers that are linked to unjust acts. You know, I was really challenged when I was re reading that, that section where it talked, to, where the implication is that Paul was bad for business because Christians were leaving their idols behind. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? And then one more challenge, I want you to consider, consider a visit to Emmanuel Children's Home or consider a visit and working alongside one of our local partners. That's a way that you can practice shocking the pool. Well, I mentioned that we'd pay another vis visit to a urine town before we brought today's teaching to a close. We're almost to the end of this message and our time together here. So let's go back to the end of that play. When we last left urine town, the people had risen up. They were going to fight that mega corporation under the banner that people should be able to go whenever they want, as much as they want, for as long as they want, with whomever they want, even in the midst of a serious water shortage. And the rebellion appeared to be a success. Led by a character aptly named Hope, they tossed the CEO off the roof of his massive corporate office. And then the cast began singing, the big finale. 
Come to the river flowing for justice. Come to the river rendezvous. Come to the river flowing for justice. All for the people, me and you. So there's this big jubilant closing number. And at strategic pauses during the song as people are dancing and singing and marching, the narrator, get this, tells the audience that as draconian as the company the corporation's rules were, they did keep the people from squandering the water supply. And people begin dying of thirst, but they keep singing and they keep marching. Step in the river, wade in the river, soak in the river through and through. Once in the river, you are the river. Friends on the shoreline, join, jump into. And it is just so surreal because here they are, they're singing, they're marching, they're congratulating one another. And as they're doing that, the narrator has this conversation with us, the audience, and also with a character named Little Sally. Narrator says, as all the singing and marching is going on, of course, it wasn't long before the water turned silty, brackish, and then disappeared altogether. As cruel as the CEO was, his measures effectively regulated water consumption, sparing the town. Hope chose to ignore the warning signs, however, preferring to bask in the people's love for as long as it lasted. And then this character, Little Sally, says, what kind of musical is this? The good guys finally take over and everything starts falling apart. Again, while this is happening, imagine all around the narrator and Little Sally, people are singing and they're marching. The narrator says, Little Sally, Little Sally, like I said, this isn't a happy musical. She goes, but the music is so happy. And the narrator says, yes, little Sally, it is. And all this is going on. The song, the marching continues. You are the river, I am the river. He is the river, she is too. All are the river flowing for freedom, flowing for justice, let's review. Doesn't that have a lot to say about our world. There are real issues affecting real people, and we are in real need of real biblical justice. Let's not be imitators of the people of town. Let's not be bandwaggers, bandwagoners, who march and sing along with whatever tune is playing. Let's not be tribal. Let's listen. Let's learn from others who we may not have things 100% right, but may have something important to add to the conversation. Let's be, as Paul wrote to believers in that city of Ephesus, let's be imitators of God. And let's commit ourselves right here, right now, to biblical justice. Let's pray. Father, once again, um, in such a contentious topic that matters so much, like justice, Lord, I pray that things that I said that were said the wrong way could be filtered through, and that which is from you could be heard. Father, we thank you that you've shown us what holiness with human hands look like. Father, we are so thank you. We thank you so much that you sent Jesus into our world. He is our hope.
Father, like there's so many people that are asking us to join their tribe, so many people who are asking us to hop on their bandwagon. Father, right now, as we seal this time with a very different song, we pray that you'll help us to fix our eyes on you and be changed as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.